electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour of the week that either confirmed the rally or questioned it. That's our debate with the committee today. Joining me for the hour, Carrie Firestone, Steve Weiss, Josh Brown, and John Ajarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go check stocks. They are positive. Still on track, though, to break that five-week winning streak yields. There's a 10-year note yield, 157, 1.57%. We're going to get to that debate, and it's a good one to have. But first, we've got to get down to D.C. Kayla Tausche has breaking news for us. Hi, Kayla. Hi, Scott. The White House is confirming that President Biden will hold a virtual bilateral summit with China's President Xi Jinping on Monday evening following the president's signing of that bipartisan infrastructure bill. Uh, the White House press secretary tells CNBC that the purpose of the meeting will be to set the U.S. intentions and priority and be clear and candid about the concerns that the U.S. has with the People's Republic of China. The White House has previously said that the purpose of the meeting will be to responsibly manage competition. And a senior administration official tells CNBC's Christina Wilkie that the president will say that he does not want conflict with China, but that the U.S. believes that such guardrails are needed to defend uh, a world-based order. So such an interesting conversation going to be taking place on Monday evening, the White House confirming. Uh, so we will see uh, how that goes down, Scott when it happens in just a few days. I will right, we'll look forward to that, Kayla. Thank you very much. Kayla Tausche with that breaking news for us down in Washington, D.C. Let's reset the market for you once again. We're pretty much at the highs of the day. We are still working on, though, what would be an end to the five-week winning streak for stocks. There's your Dow, 187. So we're right around the highs there. S&P 500, good for three-quarters of 1%, 33-plus points there. NASDAQ outperforming today, trying to get up to the 1% level. And the Russell, which has been doing quite well lately, too, is flat. But our big question, and I mentioned this at the top, is this the week, Josh, that we're going to look back and say we confirmed the rally or we questioned it? And I pose it to you that way because we did have the hottest inflation read in some 30 years, yet we're higher today than we were post-CPI. That's got to tell you something. The other side of the coin is, okay, it means that rates, which were going up this week, may continue to do so, and that may put at least a damper on stocks. Which side are you on? Well, I think the way the market seems to be interpreting the very hot inflation read is that it's backward looking, and probably a lot of it is. And if you think about the big concern going into the last couple of weeks when earnings season started, it was that this is the quarter where we're really going to see those inflation pressures felt in the bottom lines of America's largest corporations. In fact, that's not what happened. There was a lot of commentary from CEOs and industry leaders and analysts and economists about um, you know all of the various uh, all of the various costs that were going higher, everything from labor to raw materials to the transportation of goods, et cetera. But in the end, 
uh, Q3 right now, and we, we're through most of the largest companies, looks like it's tracking 12.9% net profit margins. So if you think about that versus the five-year average of just under 11%, actually, we're doing better not only than most people thought we would, but we're doing better from a net profit margin perspective than during most of the last five years. The story of Q3 earnings is that companies have been able to pass through those costs. Now, this is where people get really upset, so I'm going to say something that will ameliorate that. Um, of course, that can't continue on into infinity. We can't just relentlessly have higher costs and continue to pass them on before something breaks. Everybody agrees on that. So the question you have to ask yourself is whether or not uh, the hiring will pick up and some of those employment uh, cost pressures will subside. Not that salaries are going lower, but the rate at which they've been increasing will subside. I think that's reasonable to say. Mm -hmm. I also think it's reasonable to say that commodity price infla uh, inflation typically ends because somebody says, you know what? That's a lot of money to be made. I think I'm going to supply that market. So if you're, if you're being reasonable about the inflation situation, you understand that the Fed is now on track to slow down what it's been doing. They told us they would. You also understand that a lot of the imbalances related to the reopening are starting to ease, and that's a gradual process. It's not an overnight flick the switch, we beat inflation. But as those two things happen, what stands in everyone's <clears throat> mind is that, wow, companies made it through, and I think that's what's being reflected okay. in the almost all-time record highs in all the major averages. So, Kerry, um, it's hard to think that you can come away with this week and say anything other than the rally was confirmed. The fact that I would, if I would have told you, and I've said this before, if I would have told you at the beginning of the week we're going to have this monster hot read on inflation, and yet on Friday we're going to be higher than where we were post that read, you probably would have said, I, I just don't think that's the case. But here we are. What's the message in that? Well, I might have said that's the case. It, it appears that this market and investors are looking beyond the headlines. We, we really have um, a glass half full, and by that I mean not so much inflation type of environment, where whatever the numbers, when we think about 2022, the consensus believes that those inflation numbers are going to start to moderate. And we've seen that in some sectors. There's a belief that as COVID vaccinations ramp up around the world, we're going to have better prospects of de delivery of goods and services from factories where there are shutdowns in Taiwan, the Philippines, ports in Singapore and Long Beach. This is all going to work itself out. That's what the market wants to believe, except on the days that the market goes down a percent percent or the Nasdaq drops one and a half percent. So we have those days and then the narrative is different. But what is the overriding concern in the market is the following. We know there's a lot of demand. There is huge demand on the consumer side and the industrial side. And when there is an opportunity to buy stocks that people like that have dropped a few percentage points because there's a little bit of a pause and concern, then rush in the buyers and we see those numbers rush back up on the price of stocks because we believe that there's enough demand that will maintain an interest in higher levels of sales, profits, margins, as Josh said, and not worry so much about inflation. I don't know whether that's true. I think there's inflation that we should worry about in certain areas, so, but this is what continues to drive the market higher. Oh, 
Uh, okay, um, Steve Weiss. So UBS today says inflation may lift volatility, uh, but it's not going to derail the rally. We expect the Fed's going to err on the side of caution as well and remain patient on rate rises. Um, no game changer this week, though. If, if I tell you, okay, the stock market got through this week okay, despite the CPI, uh, but rates did rise, and they may continue to rise from here. And that's been the most critical question. Some of the high-profile guests we had during our 10th anniversary week talked about it, including your pal David Tepper, who said, look, you know, I don't really love any asset class at, at the current level, but if interest rates are going to stay around here, okay, stocks can go up. Well, what if they don't remain around here, from here? Yeah, and in talking to Dave since then, uh, look, he's, he still has that view, but if interest rates stay where you are, he thinks NASDAQ could be up another 10%. Look, I don't know that this week was confirming anything. What it confirmed to me is that the market is data dependent, as is the Fed. We saw that with the big inflation print on Wednesday. And by the way, that also bounced back because the 10 years artificially suppressed in terms of the yield because there was massive short covering. And we saw that in numbers. It's not hyperbole. You can see what the short interest is in the 10 year. So it was a big bounce back. But where are we? We're back to where we are in the 10 year not that long ago, a week and a half ago or so. So as long as it stays under control, I think we're okay. But to me, what's driving it is not the monthly prints that we see on inflation numbers or unemployment. It's what Toyota said today. And Toyota said, we're going to be back to full production because we see the supply chain easing up. So the market, that's why, in my view, semis are up today, technology's up today, and the Nasdaq's up today, despite you seeing a slight uptick in yields. So that is the most important element. To me, the Fed can't control the inflation. They're going to be patient. And I do believe a lot of it's transitory. But nonetheless, some of it's not. Labor costs are not transitory. You can't go to somebody and say, hey, I gave you this 10% raise. I'm taking it back now. Supply chain's kicking in again. You can't do that. So you have to decide where that's going to hurt the market and where the market's going to pay less attention to it so, or where they have pricing power. So look, so I think the market still looks good. Seasonally, it's a good play to go. I, I think that it's a momentum-driven market, both on the upside as well as the so, downside. Let me ask so you if this. a company misses, me, it's let, punitive. Let me yeah. ask you this. So, so it okay. makes no difference that we don't care about the fact that they may have to taper quicker or raise rates sooner mm -hmm. if inflation continues to be where it is, or dare I say, get worse from here. No, nobody has suggested that, that uh, in the no. context of this conversation today. And the market, if it was worried about that, certainly isn't showing it. Well, let me tell you why, because information flows so quickly. To me, in my view, the base case now is that the Fed starts in June tapering. They pulled it forward. So the markets pulled it forward despite what the Fed said. And because this dialogue really seeps out into the market and becomes the new benchmark that the market's okay with it. If you pulled it forward to March, so to your question, the market would care if you pull it forward to March. But June, March got comfortable with it. It's gotten comfortable. It's not going to be 50 or 75 bips. It's going to be a very manageable 25 bips. So I'd say that's the new bar that we're dealing okay. with right now. All right. So, Dr. J, um, in the context of where we are mm -hmm. and, and where we go from here, we digest inflation this week and we get through it pretty good. We may miss, the, you know, can not be able to continue the winning streak we've been on. But, you know, that's OK. The market probably needed to take a, a bit of a, a breather 
Uh, anyway, we, we do have to consider, though, where we want to be positioned. And on that note, I look at a Bank of America flow show note today, which says you had the largest outflow from tech since June. I wonder what the message in that is, too, that, OK, the Nasdaq's outperforming today. Um, do we need to think about the longevity of the tech trade in, in an environment where rates may continue to go up? Some, clearly, some, some institutions are, and they're raising you know, cash from tech. Well, uh, as you know, you're talking to the guy on the panel that probably is the heaviest into tech, Scott. That's why I asked you that uh, you question, know, Microsoft, Dr. J. Tesla. Ex exactly, because you're a pro. <laughs> um, uh, Apple making a really nice move today on solid volume. Same thing with Microsoft. Obviously, Tesla's got to deal with uh, Elon Musk's tweets and his polls, but and occasional sales now as well. But other than that, uh, tech is just fine, Scott. I think it'll continue to do just fine. In fact, um, we just uh, shot over to Prashant and your team uh, the uh, spider, the SPY of the S&P 500. Uh, that just showed 73,000 calls being bought at the December 472 strike. Now, that's only about one and a half, one point seven percent out of the money right now. Uh, certainly, we could get there like that. But that's a big $29 million bet because those were $4 options. They bought 73,000 of them. They're controlling $3.4 billion worth of stock with that purchase. So I would stack that up against some of the outflows, perhaps, that retail has taken versus a big institutional size trade like this that says we're going higher into December. And like I say, that's a pretty big bet. I want to ride with those big bets rather than with you know, people that are uh, not dumb, but that are basically balancing their positions, perhaps. This is an end of the year. I'm going to ride this thing, uh, you know, higher. That was what that bet told me. So I'm all the more comfortable with my tech bet right now. That's why, Josh, I, I posed the question the way I did at the very top of the show, uh, whether it confirms or questions the move um, in the in the overall market. The Nasdaq being where it is, seems to me to be yet another signal that we're only confirming the rally this, this week. If you're able to withstand the kind of move that we saw in rates and what may continue to go from here, and yet the NASDAQ is trying to get a 1% gain on the day, that has to be viewed as nothing but bullish. Yeah, I just feel like the NASDAQ is highly dominated by five to 10 very large companies. And so what you're seeing there may not be that great of an indicator for the rest of your portfolio, unless you're in the queues specifically. Because when you look at um, some of the, the technology stocks that have been struggling, there's really no bounce in sight for any of them. Twitter and Snap look like death on toast. Uh, Teladoc looks awful. Zoom looks awful. Zillow doesn't seem like it's bottomed yet. Pel I don't even want to talk about Peloton. Don't do it. Carrie's here. Don't, don't talk about Peloton. Carrie, I don't want to upset Carrie on Friday. <laughs> Be nice. Come on. Right. Don't do that. Fine. Sorry. Don't do that. Carrie, I love you. I'm sorry. I'm, Carrie, I love you. I'm sorry. I, listen, I, I, I look at that. I look at that and it makes it actually makes me happy, not because I like people to lose money in any stocks, but because I like that there's dispersion. We're not just unilaterally buying every stock for no reason blindly. There are companies that are struggling and not doing as well. 
as the larger names than NASDAQ, and with good reason, they're not going up. But then you look at some of the technology names that are doing way better than the FANGs, just in terms of growth rate. Look at Snowflake. Look at Unity. These stocks are just making crazy moves. Unity's at an all-time high right now, plus 5% on the day. So, like, you have that dispersion, even within tech. I think it's very healthy. I like to see it, even when it works against me. PayPal is a stock that I own. That's a very okay. large technology stock. I want to I, go there I, next. I know people think that, that, it's a, a finance that, stock. That, but that's exactly what I want to do, though. I, I wanted to segue to, to PayPal because it's the third worst NASDAQ 100 stock this week. So, um, and I was so going to wait, but let's just do it now. It's like 10% this, this week. Consider this your segue. This stock is a buy. I own it in the, in the 100s, but I, I, might add, I might add to it. This stock is a buy. It's going up. Uh, I know it's had a very, very tough couple of months. Um, but understand, this. if you talk about what are the companies in the NASDAQ right now that are not yet a trillion, but plausibly have a big enough TAM, big enough cash flows, big enough financial flexibility, and a large enough brand name to someday get there, this is one of those names PayPal is accepted by 75% of the 1,500 largest merchants in the world. 416 million active users right now, including 383 million of them are consumers. This is the most accepted digital wallet that exists. They are transforming from just being payments into what we call financial super apps. There's only gonna be room for a couple of financial super apps that do everything from lending, trading, insurance. PayPal has a shot to be that. Most consumers are not going to have seven financial apps on their front page of their iPhone. So when you look at where they've been expanding, QR code business, uh, payment by QR code, growing by gangbusters, crypto trading is now on the platform, buy now, pay later, huge volumes already. That thing is in its infancy. So there are opportunities for people that want to buy tech stocks and don't want to pay an all-time record high. This stock has lost $60 billion in market cap over the last few months. This is the type of thing that if I'm not exposed enough to growth, large cap growth, mm -hmm. like that's some, somewhere that you could look. All right, Kerry, he's speaking your language now. Hey. I love it. I love it. Me, so exactly. Uh, uh, yes, I do love you. And I thank you for that because PayPal is a buy here. We have owned PayPal for years. We have sold it because it's gotten to be such a big position for us, we think it's really attractive here. And the market right now punishes any company that comes out with slightly less than what the most grandiose guidance could be. And that happened with PayPal. And think about what's going on. They had 30% growth in transactions. They've signed a deal with Amazon and Venmo. And that's going to be an incredible catalyst for business over the next few years. I mean, Venmo is now enormous. And, you know, three years ago, what was Venmo? Somebody's idea and sort of a weird name. And I think that PayPal is exactly, as Josh pointed out, the kind of company that can be a trillion dollar business uh, market cap, just like CRM. Salesforce is that kind of company, too. And we think those stocks still have lots of legs. It's been hurt. The stock is way down. And we think this is a great opportunity to buy now, honestly. I think PayPal's a, a, a great opportunity. All right, you guys are moving it uh, to the highs of the day. That's better than 3% right now. Steve Weiss, was that you trying to get in before I, I, I sent it over to Kerry? Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think I think Josh Josh's view is way too narrow. The Nasdaq's just not moving up because of the big ones. Look at the SMH. 
that's trading at a high and that's got dogs in it like Intel holding it back. Imagine where it would be. So it is broad. It's not Apple. It's not Amazon. It's technology overall. That's what's driving it. So don't have such a narrow view. In terms of PayPal, I'm looking at it. You know, I'm not there yet. I think it makes sense. The earnings growth is amazing. They're doing it, but it's also more competitive space now than it has been in the past. So some things have changed. It's a question of how they navigate that competition is the pricing power doesn't stay with them anymore, but it stays with the ones that are using PayPal who have more leverage now than they've had in the past. All right, so, so I come out favorably on it, but I haven't done enough work. One more thing, Scott. I do have a small position. Scott mentioned it in Unity. Uh, to me, that is, you have two companies that are in the metaverse driving it. One is, of course, Epic Games, and the other is Unity. So you got to own one of them. All right. Uh, Unity's up near 7%. But back to PayPal. Let's put that back up because you guys uh, are definitely moving that stock as, as you talk so bullishly about it. Dr. J, you don't own it. Uh, but you like the space. You just nope. choose to play in the Square Sandbox instead of PayPal. Why? Well, um, I took profits on PayPal when it ran to the upside, Scott. And even this week, when they announced that uh, Amazon was going to take Venmo for payments, um, I still had it into that this week in the after hours. Um, and luckily, it made a nice pop into the 230 or more high. Perhaps it was even above that. But then... They came out and warned on the guidance going forward, and that's when the stock cratered back down. So when I got out of it, uh, I should have bought it back, of course, at 200 when it got there. I didn't do that and obviously regret it now because it's higher, but still nowhere near the levels I got out. Um, Maybe we go on a buying spree here, Scott, where they do focus as uh, Josh and Kerry and uh, Stephen have said on this particular name. And if they do, I probably won't jump back in Mm -hmm. um, unless there's a lot of upside call buying. I'll wait. I'll try to be patient and get it back around that 200 level. All right, we're going to keep watching that for the rest of the program, give you some updates as we continue to see shares of PayPal move on that bullish talk from our own committee members. The other big stock story of the day clearly is J&J, splitting into two businesses, uh, as we've heard uh, throughout the day, uh, starting on Squawk Box this morning. Uh, How lucky we are to have you, Kerry, uh, today. Uh, not that you own the stock, but you did used to run the healthcare and biotech fund at Fidelity. So I want your perspective. What would the fund, the Fidelity fund manager focused on this space, think of a move like this with this name? Well, you have to be positive if you're thinking that J&J has two thirds of its business in healthcare. It's one third consumer. And the consumer side has been a drag on the multiple and I think on the the universe of potential buyers and analysts who follow the stock. It's a hybrid company and the world is much more specialized in terms of how we look at companies and the way people who analyze them, talk about them and own them um, have become. So this breakup, I think, is only for the positive for J&J. Consumer staples traded below a market multiple. And, you know, Band-Aid and Neutrogena, they have many good staple businesses within that umbrella. But um, if, if you think about where on the healthcare side there is potential for, for multiple expansion, and biotech is the highest multiple group within healthcare, I mean, it, it, generally it, it is, of, and if J&J can command a multiple that's you know, 25 to 30 on that business, 
uh, the pharmaceutical business may be lower, but they're going to position themselves as higher growth and more on the biotech, biopharma side. Think about the vaccine that was produced. I mean, I call that biotech, um, even though you know Pfizer has one, but it's cutting edge. It's new age biology and chemistry. And therefore, this should be positive for owners of the stock. And I think it's the, it's the move. It's where we're going. We saw this with GE. We're going to see it with other companies, well, you know. They glom everything together and then they break apart, and this will be good. The, the hope, um, Dr. J, is that you get an Abbott and AbbVie situation out of whatever, you know, J&J ends mm-hmm. up being. Uh, because let's say an Abbott is up 300% since that split, and AbbVie is up 240%. So it's been a win-win for shareholders in both. I'm somewhat surprised to read from your notes to our producers today that you're somewhat skeptical that this is the right move. Why, why do you think that? Well, um, sometimes they, obviously a lot of this J&J, I think, um, is because of that talcum issue, the, the, the powder and the lawsuits that were around that versus their medical side of their business, Scott. Um, but uh, this is one of those companies where, yeah, they're going to try to release some extra value by doing this. We know Third Point is going after Royal Dutch Shell obviously completely different sector, um, but nonetheless to try to release some of that value. Um, uh, to me, it didn't make Johnson & Johnson more interesting than it was before. Um, I, I've traded this one, but it's not a core holding of mine. Steve Weiss, what do you think of this? Look, I think it's a great move, uh, both to shield the assets in the pharma area, as John mentioned, because of the talc lawsuits, the judgments that are there, and more that are coming. But we've seen this. Companies do it. This is a high-profile one, as was GE. But XPO and GXO did it. Look at the value they created. Ferrari being spun out. And that's one of the mm-hmm. reasons why I own Volkswagen, because I think they'll spin out their luxury brands, including Porsche. So if you, if you can't separate the business, J&J specifically, you've got a slow-growing business in highly competitive areas that doesn't have much IP there versus their pharmaceutical drug business that is a much better business, potentially faster growing. They're getting penalized for it. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Straight ahead, a rare downgrade for darling NVIDIA ahead of its earnings next week. We're going to debate that call. We'll talk about one of the committee members who's making moves in the stock as well. We'll do that in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. 
Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The judge in the Wisconsin trial of Kyle Rittenhouse will not allow the jury to consider a lesser charge in the fatal shooting of Joseph Rosenbaum. This comes after days of testimonies wrapped up yesterday. And for full coverage of the trial involving Kyle Rittenhouse, tune into the news with Shepard Smith tonight. A court in military ruled Myanmar sentencing detained U.S. journalist Danny Fenster to 11 years in prison. The court found Fenster guilty on several charges, including incitement. He still faces additional charges for allegedly violating counterterrorism law and covering treason and sedition. Olympic gold medalist Suni Lee saying that she was recently the victim of anti-Asian violence. In an interview, Lee revealed that she and her friends had racist slurs shouted at them by a passing car. And as the vehicle sped off, one of the passengers pepper sprayed the group strikingly in the arm. And a new version of a lawsuit over Subway's tuna now claims lab testing shows that it contains animal proteins such as chicken, pork and cattle. Meanwhile, Subway responded in a statement that it will seek to dismiss the, quote, reckless and improper lawsuit. You are now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Just in time for lunch. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Rahel, for that. Not really. Rahel Solomon. All right. Time now for our call of the day. A rare downgrade for NVIDIA. Wedbush cutting their rating to neutral from outperformance. Evaluation call. Josh Brown, I'm going to give you the first crack at this because this is your this is your name. You, you own this uh, in, in, in more ways than one. Um, you know, it's a valuation call. There's no negative catalyst. They're upfront in saying that. What do we do with this? It's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever read. So I'm going to quote directly from it so that you understand the degree of ridiculous. This is like Lewis Carroll doing uh, semiconductor stock research. Um, while typically we would want to tie a rating change to some sort of negative catalyst, frankly, there is none. Conditions rather have only improved for NVIDIA over the past three months. Um, we believe the combination of unprecedented demand for both data center and client offerings will allow NVIDIA to again exceed expectations next week. Then there's a lot more good things. And then the problem is that they can't stretch their multiple that they want to assign to it to get to, to a level where the stock has upside from here, which I understand that. But here's the thing. This guy had a $220 target on it the whole time it ran from 200 to 300. So what are we even talking about here? My advice, throw the targets out. Targets are not useful. Just comment on the state of the business and how things are going, because frankly, the market doesn't care about a lot of the ways that stocks like these have historically been valued. It's not Texas Instruments. They're not stamping widgets. It's a company that's involved literally in the transformation of the world. The, the next phase, the, the fourth industrial revolution, is marrying the physical world to the digital world. That's what us and our children are all about to live through. You may say the stock is expensive here, and I would agree with you, but let's not act like it has to conform to the way that you analyze Intel and analog devices and whatever else. This is a very, very different story, and I think it deserves a different level of respect when we try to figure out what it's worth today, what it could be worth tomorrow. But So all that taken into consideration, and I think 
you know, our, our viewers and many of whom may have followed you into this name and some who did are very happy and they're tweeting about it as we speak. Um, but what do we do with the fact that it's up 50 percent in three months? You don't have any I don't, I don't even, sort I don't, of sit back and say, I, you but know, I said, but I could have said that at any point. The stock's up 100 percent. I'm 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 in this stock. I'm in this stock long enough. I think I think it's like 14 or 1500 percent higher at any point. That could have been the argument to sell. And I'm not saying people shouldn't sell. If this stock has grown well, to become an outsized position within your portfolio to the point where a down 20 percent day after an earnings disappointment, which is entirely feasible, would hurt you, then yes, you should take some off. But not because somebody felt like, well, I might as well downgrade it because it went up so much. Yeah, I hear come you. Up I... With a reason, come up with a reason to right-size your position. By the way, it's entirely possible NVIDIA trades lower after its earnings. You have never heard me come on this show and say, buy it because of the earnings. I have no edge on what the earnings will be. I never said I did. I'm just saying there's got to be a better reason to buy and sell things than what I just read to you. Look, I think, I mean, Kramer's comments today were were the same. And and it sounds a lot to me, uh, Steve Weiss, how he describes Apple. You know, okay, so if the stock goes up a lot, you may be tempted to sell a little bit. But his point is own it, don't trade it. And similarly, this morning, he says you sell it and try to get back in. It's too hard. That's a game I can't play. I mean, Kramer can't play that game. Who the heck can play that game? Um, is that the way we well, should, should look at this? playing that game with Wal- No, Kramer's playing that game with Walmart. He took some off, and he's going to get back in. But look, what Josh said to me is the thing that's scariest about this market, to say that you should not have any investment discipline on valuation. The analyst had a buy on it. Forget what his price target is. He's had a buy on it. He's got a discipline. He's saying, I can't justify it going further. We take profits all the time. To say that this is a special case, forget about valuation, just like momentum. That's why you have Rivian. And if you have all these Rivians and all these NVIDIAs, I'm not saying NVIDIA should be sold. I'm saying that you've got to have a discipline in investing. The analyst has a discipline. I applaud the analyst for selling it. He's not saying it can't go up further. It's going to be a good quarter. That's clear. But at some point, you got to say, look, I got to look at these names. I've got to, again, I'm not overstating the word, have a discipline. It's got discipline. It's not pie in the sky. It's going to grow forever. It may. But we're in a moment of time here with some of these names, with the GameStops, which is still $200. And with Rivian, which is absolutely asinine where it is. And you can't just say that on every night. You just can't. And you can't criticize somebody for having a different discipline than you have. Period. I'm going to give Josh the floor to respond to you. I agree with Steve, but I didn't say any of those words that you just put into my mouth. Steve? I paraphrased and took what you said in 15 minutes and two minutes. No, so, you invented a straw man to argue against. And I, and I actually agree with the point that you made. But I didn't I, say valuation one doesn't thing you're matter. you're not as a straw man. You like to say that. Well, you like to say that. But I don't ever say valuation doesn't matter. My point was different. First of all, he didn't say sell it. He cut it to a neutral, which in my world, I don't know what neutral means. You either buy or sell. But what he actually said That's was he raised his target. He raised his target. Listen to me now. From 220 to 300 and then said I'm downgrading it. That's what's ridiculous to me and I'm not saying valuation doesn't matter. I'm saying the valuation on the stock historically has not and currently should not 
correspond to the way we're valuing a run-in-the-mill semiconductor company that is not involved in the end markets that NVIDIA is involved in. That's a different argument, my friend. So you just said, you just said valuation doesn't matter in NVIDIA, but it matters elsewhere. You shouldn't look no, at valuation. Just no, look I at what it's doing. It's saving the world. You just said you that, keep Josh. Say- <laughs> Sit back. You keep saying that you sentence words, that, Josh, has get the point to, that has yet to come out of my mouth. Listen, I know you think you're scoring points here. I agree with you that valuation matters. I'm saying cutting a stock simply because it won't conform to a narrative that you have based on other companies that you think it should be related to is probably not great advice. And my evidence for that is what this stock has done the entire way up. It's been expensive every day of my life and your life for the last five years. It's mm-hmm. never been cheap. That's not, that is not actually been the determinant of where the share price goes. So look, they could come out, they could disappoint, maybe the guidance isn't great, the stock will get hammered. I agree with that, that idea. So I do think people should manage risk and manage position size. Okay, so, I so, just don't so, think okay. arbitrary so price he, targets are helping anyone. Josh, really, we only have to one o'clock. So when you said it's never been cheap to me, <laughs> I equate that term with valuation, okay? Never been cheap. When has That's it been? Valuation. When has it now, been? A, when has some it been? Stock, some stocks. When Josh, has it been finish. a cheap stock? Stock. Josh, let me finish. Josh, let me finish. Some stocks hold valuations is very high. We've got Amazon that's doing it. We had Netflix that did it for a while until it grew into its valuation. The market's full of them. I own Unity. I don't own it on valuation. I own it because it's one of two oh. primary assets in the metaverse right now. So, so does that get an look, exception? I'm just saying that he made he made it he made an opinion he made a call. There's a scarcity of the asset there. Nvidia owns the data center, they own gaming, but others will be there. So I have nothing wrong with it. I owned, I owned NVIDIA calls. I sold them because the time value was eroding. I'd like to go back in. I think go higher. What I was, what I was try- taking exception to, even though you keep denying it, but you keep using the word not cheap. That's valuation. I think we just have to be careful no, I, I know. in terms of what I, we communicate. I think he, artic- he articulated. But you own stocks he, that are not cheap either. So I don't understand your point. Is every stock you want a value right. stock? You're, so no, what are you talking you're about? right. Dr. I'm not J. arguing that you Do- don't own stocks like that. Dr. J, you get the last word. Well, the, the, uh. thank you. The, the, the single easiest thing to do here, Scott, is if anybody has a little bit of acumen, which both, uh, both of these, as well as, of course, Carrie do, both of these two gentlemen, um, is you keep rolling your calls up because that way you're constantly pulling money off the table and then you're rolling up to a higher strike price. You're never going to have that 20% drawdown that Josh talks about if you do that. Instead, you're going to be riding it as it keeps climbing. You've got a limited risk trade on. That's what options were made for. This kind of stock, Tesla, anything that makes these sorts of, you know, astronomically fantastic rides, you want to be rolling, rolling, rolling those options. That's what we do. I think that's what smart people would do to cut risk in this position. I agree with both of them, though. You don't just go out and sell the stock because it hits a number. Sure. Uh, All right. Let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to talk about the aforementioned Rivian as well. It is moving higher today for a third straight day since going public midweek. Josh Brown, as we mentioned to you the other day, spoke to Kathy Wood this week about that stock. We're going to get some more color from the TRB, the reform broker. We'll debate it on the desk. We'll do it next.
The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, Rivian is rallying for a third day now. The IPO priced at 78, now trading near $130. All right, Josh Brown, what I, what I really wanted to do was give you uh, a chance to expand on this conversation you had with Kathy Wood down at the, the conference that you were speaking uh, at, where she brought up, or Rivian came up, and she said, can't deal with that valuation, which some, you know, on Twitter were like, well, if Kathy Wood, if it's too rich for her, then maybe it's too rich for everybody. I don't know. Just expand on that and what your biggest takeaways were from a conversation with somebody that a lot of people like to hear from. Well, first of all, I want to thank uh, Cheryl Penny and Dynasty uh, Financial Partners for having me at their investment forum and uh, putting me in position to sit with Kathy. She really is, the way her mind works, she's, I think she's just a remarkable person. And uh, Rivian came up briefly, but her comment was uh, maybe contrary to what a lot of people think about the way I invest, uh, there is a hurdle rate that a, a potential stock investment has to pass in order for us to add it to the portfolio. So I think her concerns had nothing to do with Rivian's product or its outlook, but really just how do you make money from a starting valuation of 60, 70 billion, uh, even if you're attempting to value that company on 2025 uh, uh, revenues and, and earnings, that still is, is too much of a stretch. So I think that was the extent of her thinking there. However, you know, there have been some very expensive but very well-liked companies that have had blow-ups over the last couple of years where she's come in and, and stepped in after. So I wouldn't rule out the possibility of this becoming part of ARC's portfolio uh, at some point. But mm -hmm. I just think the way it's coming to market, look, there's good reason it's starting with this valuation. Just look at the overall environment. Look at the gains in Lucid and Tesla. Look at how much capital is available for these companies. And although they have no revenue, they have orders from Amazon and the backing of Ford. So it's not a fly-by-night situation that people are hyped about nothing. Um, so I, I, I understand what's happening with this story. Uh, this is a company that started 12 years ago. The founder has dedicated his life to this. He's not quite like an Elon Musk figure, but he is in many ways equally visionary. And the important thing here is he's going directly for the most important spot 
within autos. He's doing a, a pickup and he's doing an SUV. That's 72% of the market. Goldman Sachs thinks by 2040, half of the cars sold will be electric vehicles, new cars sold. So the TAM is enormous. We don't know if this company can execute. We don't know if they can manufacture. We don't know if they can do a lot of the things they have to do right. and to I, justify the revenue the market's assigning. I, I, want, to, I want to get a, a comment from, from John Ajarian. And John, and, and maybe your move this week is the most interesting of all, that you know, Pete got an allocation in the IPO. You did not. And you bought this stock on the open market. That fascinates me. That fascinates me in and of itself. Well, and you and I talked yesterday about why I couldn't get an allocation because I serve on that public board. Sure. Uh, And until I'm off of there, I can't do it. Nonetheless, hats off to Pete. I wished I was in at the price he was in at. But I liked it so much, Scott, because of what you and I have also talked about. These EVs. Um, you know, it's not just the vehicles, of course. It's not just Neo and Tesla and Lee and so forth. It's EVgo. It's Blink. It's all of that that's part of this infrastructure bill, the one that's already been but we, passed and will be signed on Monday. But so it's so pertinent to the, to the the debate that we just had on Nvidia, uh, which morphed into a greater conversation mm-hmm. about valuation and when it matters and when it might not matter, for lack of a, a better description, and a spirited debate that I think our, our viewers got something out of. How should we put that kind of debate into context when we're now talking about something with revenues of, I don't know, none yet, uh, and we got a hundred <laughs> yeah. billion dollar valuation, Doc? They have right. orders. Well, you know, they're know they orders. Have orders, but still, their fault. I know Josh they still have, right. they have orders, but still, they it's a hundred billion dollars. They have orders. Um, Josh is right. They also have um, a, an approach that's very similar to Tesla's. They're going to be making their own batteries as well, Scott. Um, now, none of that happens like you know Thanos snapping his fingers. But nonetheless, I figure this is a very hot sector. I get in it through the stock and it's knock on wood, you know, made a very nice move this week. And then when we get these options and they become, I think, one of the most liquidly traded uh, in the EV space, perhaps only to Tesla, will they be behind that? Then I think I'll be able to do what I said, put on a call spread, roll it up, Mm -hmm. put on a Mm -hmm. call spread, roll it up. If it goes against me, I only lose the price of the call spread. I'm not going to lose $130 or 20% of $130 if indeed that $26 drop happened. Hey, Weiss, I, I just see you sold Ford. Why'd you do that? Right. Well, I bought Ford for, for a trade based on the Rivian valuation, and maybe I made a nickel on it, and I sold it. I bought it for a trade with a defined period of time, and that's it. I love the Rivian product. I wanted to buy an SUV, but I couldn't get delivery before I needed a car. I think it'll do well. But you know what? Everything's got value. It's like I've got this watch, Daytona watch. You can't buy them. You know, I want another one. I could pay double what it is, but I'd rather not. Same time, I'm not selling the one that I have. So it's all what you value things at, and stocks are no different. I just don't see the value in Rivian here. That's fine. I want to know about they have a lot Ford. Of orders, I want to know more about Ford. Drive. I just told you. But that was it. Ford it was just was a trade. It was just a trade. A That's it. I mean, the stock it was is just was a trade. It has, it has a lot of momentum. I mean, it's an interesting time to, to sell it, even if it was just for a trade. 
You know, if I didn't own such a slug of uh, Volkswagen and Porsche, maybe I would have kept it, but I've got enough auto exposure, and that's portfolio management. Okay. I just wanted to pull a little more out. I got yep. you. Still ahead, John has unusual activity. We'll do that on the other side of this break. All right, Dr. J, unusual activity. What do you have? Well, this one will put a smile on Josh's face. I'm adding to Live Nation. Um, I bought it in the you know high 80s, early 90s, kept rolling, rolling, rolling. The same thing that I've a broken record here, Scott. But they came in and they were buying the April 115 calls today with the stock at 112. Second trade quickly, affirm AFRM. This one is the February 150s. The stock had fallen to about 145 or so. It's starting to move back up. I bought those calls, probably be in them three months, Scott. All right, we'll bounce to a break. We'll come back and we'll do final trades next. Our own Kerry Firestone has a new op-ed piece on CNBC.com about how you can hunt for bargains in the market, even though major averages are hovering at record highs. Give me 20 seconds on that, Kerry, before we do final trades. Yeah, thanks, Scott. So about 16% of the S&P is more than 15% below its 2021 high. And they're in all sorts of sectors. Over the years, those stocks tend to outperform the following year. And that's what it's about. All right, let's push everybody to uh, check that out on CNBC.com. Thank you for doing that. Carrie, why don't you give us a final trade while you're at it? Visa, it's one of those stocks. It's down. It's got two strong things, inflation and people traveling overseas that are positives over the next couple of years. And we think the stock is very attractive here. All right. We still have about a minute left. Josh Brown, what do you got for us today in finals? I picked something that wouldn't trigger Steve Weiss again. Uh, General Motors, <laughs> great trend. Stocks acting very well. Cheap valuation relative to Lucid and Tesla. Take a look at it. Okay, somebody on Twitter suggested that maybe General Motors should spin out as e- its EV unit to try and unlock value. I mean, people are thinking yeah, about these kind of things. Worth $100 billion. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Weiss. Yeah, I like Volkswagen better, Josh, so sell your GM. My final trade is FedEx. It has great momentum. Nice bounce at the bottom, I think, keeps going. Okay. Uh, Dr. J, why don't you finish it up? All right, Scott, uh, J.W. Nordstrom, you get to play this one into Black Friday. It's all the way out in December at the 35 strike. I bought the calls during the show. All right, I appreciate it. Hope all of you have a great weekend. You as well. Thanks for watching. looks like we're going to break that winning streak for stocks. We will see, though, the exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.